0: Hi everyone, it's Tom here. I just wanted to take a moment at the top end of this week's episode to say a really big thank you to everybody. We launched our first episode last week and we've been blown away by the number of listens, the amount of support, the number of you that have posted, sent us messages, both public and private. It makes a huge difference at this early stage of a project to have that level of feedback and engagement. So we really, really appreciate it. You're brilliant. We love you all. Um, if you haven't heard last week's conversation with David Attenborough, we do suggest that you go back and listen at some point, but you don't need to pause today's podcast to do that. The conversation that we have with the wonderful Ellie Golding will more than make sense. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the episode. Hello, and welcome to Outrage and Optimism, a new podcast about dealing with the climate crisis and reshaping the world. My name's Tom rivett I'm
1: Cristiana Figueres.
0: And I'm Paul Dickinson. And today, we sit down with Ellie Goulding and talk about climate activism, her new release, In This Together, and how she's worked to address her own anxieties about climate change that kept her awake at night as a child. This is a great conversation with a remarkable leader and musician. We're glad you're here. Thanks for joining us. So I'm guessing that everyone listening to this has heard of Ellie Goulding, but if you have not, she is an internationally known singer-songwriter, active as a musician since 2009 with four studio albums, millions of sales and many awards. Ellie is one of the best known and most successful musicians alive today but Ellie is more than that. She's also an activist on many issues and addressing climate change and dealing with species loss and other social issues have always been close to her heart. She recently wrote the title music for the Our Planet Netflix documentary hosted by David Attenborough. And that single, In This Together, is a beautiful coming together of hope and loss and really outrage and optimism. Ellie's not done many podcasts, so we were really honored to sit down with her in New York We met her at the house of a friend in Soho that was being rebuilt after a fire, but Ellie was totally game for it and amidst the builders and construction, we found a quiet spot to talk.
1: So, Ellie, we're so delighted uh, to have you. Thank you so much. Um, in particular, that, you know, the, the universe yet again aligns for everyone. Um, and we get to talk to you just a few days after your fantastic, amazingly beautiful single uh, in this together that really honestly brought everyone to tears, including myself right now. <laughs> just thinking about it. <laughs> uh, so really beautiful. A song that you, um, that you wrote for Our Planet. Um, and uh, I was at the uh, at the release also of Our Planet, and I also brought God into tears. Um,
0: so, and if first, anyone hasn't listened to that, they should listen to yes, it right away. Yes, absolutely. Right away, before, right away, before yeah. yes, <laughs> before anything
1: else, stop the podcast yeah. and click uh, and listen to that absolutely amazing song. Mm, um, but, but first, maybe, Ellie, why don't you tell us the story of how did you even come to those lyrics?
2: I actually did two versions. The first version was very much more direct and uh, matter of fact. And uh, I'm talking about, uh, literally talking about biodiversity loss and uh, the species that have been lost. And I mentioned, you know, the names of those species. And and I think when I sent that version, I think maybe they thought that it needed to be something very relatable. Because still, I, I still don't think people... Uh, are as connected to nature as we would like them to be and i think that song was assuming that everybody felt the same way that i did which is Mm. wrong i think that's a that's a something you know assuming that is is not helpful uh because people are learning all the time about things and uh and the second version was going more into my natural songwriting state which is my favorite thing is to write about heartbreak and loss yes. and um, unrequited love Yes, it seems that it doesn't matter how happy I am uh, but I, I will still write a really sad song uh, So, and actually the past couple of years the, this, the saddest songs have been coming out of me because I've been at my happiest and I think when I'm you know I've, I've met my fiance and you know things are great and um, I feel comfortable and safe in my own head to access those dark bits and you know, this song was was tough to write, but at the same time, once I'd connected it to what I usually write about, which is which is loss, yes. losing someone. Yes, sadness, and instead, the sadness, sadness yeah. Of the loss. And instead I I connected it with, with you know what we're gonna lose if we don't start doing things very quickly um mm. for the planet. So mm. um it came easily in the end. And then I wanted the chorus, you know, I wanted the chorus to be. Something that people could sing along to, and someone described it sounds like a, like a Disney song, and I was like, great, because you know we all remember the Disney songs. Where I certainly remember yeah. them from my youth, and they're catchy, and you know, and you sing along with them, and uh, they sort of all have some kind of moral thing in them. And so the chorus just says, you know, I can I can hear the whole word singing together, and it's quite hard to maybe envisage right now. Uh, I think we're all used to you know, working individually, you know, not coming together with things. And I think that's in our history. Um, so this chorus was something I hoped would catch on eventually. And sometimes I've released songs. It's the vision of where you want us all to go. Exactly. And I think, I think honestly, projecting that vision and putting it out there is really important. Yes. I've released songs before that I really, for example, I released a song in America once, not in the UK, um, that went to number 1 here 2 years after i wrote it it was it was had a had a record for like the slowest climb to number 1 or something <laughs> i don't know if that's a good thing or not uh, but 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 i like the idea that i made a song slightly too early so mm. so if if that can carry that message that uh it has to be a collective responsibility working together then great
1: fingers crossed fingers crossed well you know i love i love the fact that you um, that you do in yourself connect the dark and the light, the loss and the love, right? The despair and the and the optimism because, um, well, as we were telling you in the beginning, that's the space that we're exploring. Mm. And we don't f- think that one is actually doable without the other. We actually think that they do have to come together um, and then forge something different, something stronger, um, how how do you think that the release of this song will help people to bring those two feelings? Because there really are deep feelings inside of us, right? Yeah. How, how do we bring those together?
2: I think, I think with my music, I like to think that I have an individual, unique take on things. I, my voice was always described to me as very unique and weird and different. Uh, so... It, not to be airy-fairy, but from a sort of spiritual point of view, the idea that my voice can, you know, affect people or contribute. them deeply. Yeah, and contribute yeah. to some kind of, again, I, you know, I use this word sort of um, reluctantly, but like spiritually. Yes. Um, so it's... it's That's a word that we're
1: very comfortable yeah, with right it's away. So
2: <laughs> I think it's accessing an entirely different headspace, something unprecedented, yeah. something that might be difficult for some people to sort of um get but i think this is such an unprecedented thing for us all to go through as human beings Mm -hmm. that it it might require some kind of access to some other world Mm -hmm. um which means uh you know thinking differently for the first time or you know trying to be a bit more um humble with your with you know your opinion or you know your um take on things and and maybe uh, being a bit more open to to the truth, um, so I like to think that with my music, you know, not just in this, but but um, in general, that you know, it 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 reaches some kind of uh, wavelength with people. You know, music, everyone loves music, doesn't you? Know, every music connects to everyone individually in some way or another, and it connects people with things. So uh, I've I've purposely not made my album about nature, just because. I do try and keep certain things separate. But when they asked me to do this song, it was like the perfect opportunity yes, for me to perfect. combine both.
1: But speaking about nature, do we remember correctly that you have said before that you used to, as a child, lie awake and be actually very concerned about yeah. what we were doing? Yeah. How, how, tell us about that. How did that happen? And how did you get out of it? Or are <laughs> you know, out of it? I don't know. <laughs> I'm out of it, to be Lots of caffeine. Um, <laughs>
0: or also, I think, just to connect to that, what would you say? Because that's a lot more prevalent now.
1: Yeah. People mm. are very
0: anxious. and it, children, it, children. Children are, anxious, children are anxious, people. And it manifests <laughs> in all sorts of ways yes. in how they see the world and how they see themselves and how they man- and manage in their future. So anything about how you faced that and came through that could be really helpful, I
2: think. Yeah. Yeah yeah when I was younger I grew up I grew up in a small village in Herefordshire, which is kind of on the border of Wales. so I spent most of my you know, recreational childhood in Wales and did lots of walks and hiking and me and my uncle would build things in the woods <clears throat> and I think that connection to nature very strong connection uh, made me Uh, just think more about it and as a kid I was very conscientious and and uh I was I was bright at school um my siblings best some you know were not as into learning as I was um I think uh we had uh you know we had a challenging childhood I'd I'd say um so I just really loved to learn but I think the more I learned and The more I took in for some reason it kept me up at night as a kid so I'd lie awake thinking that something really bad was going to happen and um and I think that's just stuck with me um so I mean it tells a lot about you know why I'm here I think and I just think I was a deep thinker and I think as more and more kids are Having access to information, mm-hmm. especially being on social media, kids are obsessed with social media, and it's. I see it from my interaction with fans, and the, the. You know, I have to have a limiter on my phone to stop me from going on social media. It just fries my brain, uh, and and you know more and more information, more and more, um, fake news, real news, you know, what's the truth, what's not the truth. And I can see now why, you know, I, I struggled then. I can see now why kids are struggling more now. I didn't, I didn't, you know, I wasn't sneaking on my phone at night going on Twitter, yeah. you know, reading things because even if you do have a very specific, um, you know, I we follow sort of, uh, you know, um, Twitter accounts that relate to, uh, you know, uh, you know, like climate reality and, and you know, might follow Al Gore. We might follow, you know, Greta or, you know, there's people that we yep. follow specifically. So we're, we're sort of making ourselves see that information because yes. we want to know what's going on all the time. That's just You're
1: choosing to be informed. choosing.
2: But some people don't choose. But but just because of the power of social media, we'll see these things anyway. So kids are constantly seeing bad news, I think. Yes. Um, and how did I deal with it? Uh I, it sounds crazy, but I have to do a lot of yoga. Um, I have to do a lot of uh, fitness. I keep super fit to the point where I, maybe it's slightly obsessive, but it's the only time that my mind just thinks about th- that I'm in hell in, in the workout. Right. Um, so it distracts me from anything else. And that's kind of what I have to do. I have to literally fill my brain with, uh, with something very basic like how can I get to the end of this three mile run? Um, but I really had to, I had to, force myself to, um, to sort of, uh, take a step back and, and, and try and be in in the present moment. And I, I found that really tough. Uh, how can kids, I mean, the only thing I can think is that, is that young people try and it's tough because social media is such an incredible tool, but it's also, I think it's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. Uh, but I would say that, uh, ironically being close to nature and having connection with nature helps your mental health Mm. uh so i can (laughs) sir david attenborough would immediately agree with you on that one (laughs) yeah but but then you know this is the thing because i think a crucial thing is to is to go back to nature and uh and you know we are we're all connected we're all interconnected with nature whether we like it or not uh, so even if you grew up in the city, which many kids do, you know,
1: uh, I can understand. Well, I was just going to say 50% of world population lives in cities today and we're moving toward 75% yeah. of world population living in cities. Yeah, um, Most of them your age and, and beyond. Um, so wh- wh- what do we do? Because if if truly the early experience and contact with nature is what gives us that sensitivity um and yet three quarters of us are actually going to be living in cities Mm. what what do we do I, i i don't know i i believe that
2: we're sort of innately connected with nature i don't i believe that all of us have it in us whether we grow up in the city or not so maybe there's, I don't know, maybe it's as simple as, as, uh, something being in the curriculum where kids, you know, have to regularly go for walks or, or regularly see the countryside or go on more trips because again, traveling, seeing the world, seeing other people's way of living is also really important for young people to grow up with compassion and put themselves in other people's shoes. And, uh, and so maybe that's something that can be done. I know that I'm so deeply passionate about nature and the natural world because I grew up in it. Uh, and that only, you know, uh, you know, it just it lit a fire, for, you know, probably for the rest of my life, I'll always be really connected to nature. But I can understand why kids growing up in the city might not be as much. But but if they could see it for themselves and feel it and, and walk in it and be amongst it and, you know, walk through forests, walk, you know, Past mountains, I, I really believe that that's in us naturally, and uh, and it can easily have an kindled? effect on you.
1: Is it easily kindled? Even if you don't live in nature all the time, is it easily kindled by having exposure to? to I nature? think it's
2: an experiment. I think it's maybe it's look. We know that we know that kids are already starting to sort of wake up and and uh, they're learning things in school, and they're at that point where they're most open to information. Uh, so kids are getting angry and outraged as they yes, should outrage. about yeah. their you know future potentially being taken from them, stolen from them. Um, but uh, I think it could go further uh, if maybe kids are are in it, are are, are in the places um, that they're trying to fight for. So, you know, that could be, I never thought of that before this podcast, but maybe it's a case of um, kids just being in nature because I think um, it's underestimated as as being a powerful
1: thing. Mm-hmm. So that could be
2: an option, maybe. I don't mm-hmm. know. And
1: as another, as another access point, there is, yes, the experience of nature itself, but I think you're also saying, and we can also access that part of us through the arts. Yeah, it's Whether very Whether it's important. cinematography, music, sculpture... Yeah.
2: Yeah, um, I'm. I was. I was happy to be able to provide something, you know, that was my um, area. And I was going to say area of expertise. Absolutely not an expert in what I do. But I, uh, I think many people would really <laughs>
1: contest you on that one. <laughs> well, look, I, I
2: love. I love writing pop music. I love the way that people can relate to what I sing about. Mm. And when I write lyrics, and I get tweets and various you know, letters and messages from people saying that my songs have helped them through things. You know, it means so much to me. And, uh, I think it just goes to show that, that people connect with music, with sound, uh, with, with film, uh, and mm-hmm. with stories and yes. stories is a huge part of what I do. I tell stories about my childhood, about yes. my relationships, um, about, uh, you know, where I, where I've been in the world and I'm lucky enough to have, to have traveled the world and, I think that's that's helped me a lot um to see you know the bigger picture uh but but I think stories is is a is a crucial thing because we're all built on storytelling um it's kind of it's what we know it's what we relate to and uh so I th- I mean that's honestly how I have a career because I've told stories in it's a certain crazy. way that have enabled people to relate to what I say and I mean you know it's it's how I sing it and you know the the instrumentation and the music too but uh but you know I've I've told some pretty bold stories about my life and it's how I'm it's how I've had a career
0: yeah yeah and you have been admirably honest about all elements of your life I think one of the things that's interesting is your fan base are a kind of group of people that are trying to understand their own story and what their lives will be like, how they'll unfold. And many of them are struggling to find a compelling story of an inspiring world that they can fit into, which I think is why your song, you know, we were so impressed with it, because it brings together a sense of outrage, a sense of hope. How are you seeing those people grapple with their own sense of their story and their sense of the future?
2: Well, I see them in, in Twitter form, um, I mean, I sa- I actually saved a bunch of tweets even from last night because I tweeted. I said, um, you know, how many of you following me have been involved in in the in the strikes in the um, uh, climate strikes? Um, please tell me your story in you know this many words. And it was it was uh, even just last night, just you know, the the power of one tweet, and I get hundreds of replies from from people saying, well, I was here, I was there, mm. um, and uh, and it te- it tells me a lot about about my fans, the kind of people that are following me, uh, and how much they admire looking up to someone. Yes. They, how much they need that. They need, they need, they need heroes that. and they need people need to look up to and thank God for Greta. And she's doing incredible work, but there, there needs to be more people. And yes. I even, you know, I've, I don't know anyone else that does what I do that, that is a singer in the entertainment industry, but other than Leo that really speaks out about it. And, you know, I f- I feel honest moment, but I feel like I'm struggling. I feel like I'm holding some kind mm-hmm. of weight, mm-hmm. uh, tr- desperately trying to reach people and word it in the right way, mm-hmm. not be too negative, not be too you know uh, sad, not be not be too angry because because the way our brains work. Um, and I, I read this. I, I read this really interesting article about cognitive dissonance and pushing things into the back of our head, or assuming that oh, if that person isn't doing something, then I don't need to be doing something, or or you know that that way of thinking where you you sort of slightly twist the truth t- so it suits your you know what you mm. believe to be uh, true or, or what sort of goes in line with your morals or your um, culture. And so um, I do really struggle because. I just wish more people. You know, I have a, I have an influence, but people could have more influence than me actually, and still don't say anything. And something when this important. When you say you feel like
1: you're holding something, what what do you what do you? I f-
2: I just feel like I'm just. Uh, I I can't think of the right words to describe it, but I feel like I'm. Sometimes I do feel like I'm failing because. You know, I'm trying to ha- I'm trying to grapple with my career, which obviously is is my livelihood and it's everything mm. to me because I've I've worked really really hard to get to where I am now and um, I did everything very independently. I you know was the first person in my family to go to university, uh, had two jobs. Then I spent most of my time you know trying to do open mic nights and you know singing pubs to get notice. Anyway, so so just that's sort of my story and coming up to now. Um, you know, desperately trying to get that message out and that sense of urgency without scaring people too much yes. is, is exhausting actually and it's constantly trying to trying to say it in the right way because even though you know people are incredibly smart and these kids are incredibly smart to to recognize what's happening and to understand that so clearly and just to do something about it like that is is so admirable and so cool. But at the same time, the way our brains work, we don't respond. And I know this from trial and error. Mm. We, people don't respond well to, to negative negativity and doom and gloom. Right? It's just proven. So there's, there's, it's not helpful. Even if it is a situation like Greta says that it that there's no time, there's no space for optimism. But even just the way our minds work, even if there is no space for optimism, it, there ha- it has to be. There has to be because. Uh, I, I really, be- I really believe that without yeah. it, um, like you said, it's, it's, it's useless. There's no good going around telling people that, uh, you know, in 12, 13 years, it, you know, there's going to be many more ho- inhospitable places in the world or, you know, there's going to be water shortages. It, it just, it just doesn't work. So it's so important. Communication
1: and language is really important in, in what we're doing. Yeah. Well, we're so with you on that. We feel like we walk on a very, uh, very narrow edge there of communicating the the dangers and the threats, and and really admiring, respecting, and supporting the outrage, yeah. and at the same time, moving people into the can-do space, because otherwise we're going to fall into despair. We're going to fall into cynicism, and that doesn't help ourselves unless. I think it's just like it's uh, a mindset. Yeah,
2: it's a mindset. Because in in everyday life, you know, aside from this, we all have our own stuff going on in our lives. Indeed. And the second we start to, you know, start to think negatively and get depressed and down about something, it's it is hard to control. In some people, it's harder than others, and and uh, you know, there's there's been a rise in, thankfully, in mental health awareness because I think now we're we're able to recognize when we're down when we're depressed and we're able to speak about it a bit more much more than we used to be able to um so it's a, it's the same thing it's it's trying to trying to come above the doom and gloom and the mm-hmm. dark the darkness mm-hmm. um and and the way our brains work and you know I'm not like a scientist I don't know you know the ins and outs but I I know that it's so much more beneficial to to do things to stay positive um, than it is to sort of wallow in. Yeah. And, you know, it is easy to. It's, you know, when I say, for example, I've broken up with someone, you know, and these are the things I wrote would write songs about. It would be so easy to say in that doom and gloom. But then you, you have to be so active and trying to pull yourself out of it. I know it's easier said than done, but um, it's the same with same with climate change and, and the worrying statistics and the worrying information and all so much information. Right now that's that's sort of being fed to us. Um, it's just sort of compartmentalizing it and, uh, and you know, do, doing what you can do individually. Exactly. And all, as what the kids are doing, you know, that it's a collective um, action, which is incredible. Um, but there are things you can do individually. Mm-hmm. And now, thankfully, you can group up with people. Um, because sometimes it's quite scary doing things On by your yourself. Own, right? It's yeah. really scary. Um, so I think it's great that these people, these kids are doing it together. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, it's nice to be safe in the knowledge that as an individual, you could, you could, there are things you can do you yourself. You do have agency. Yeah. Yeah. I think like anything, if you go in with optimism and open heart, uh, and you know, some degree of mindfulness, uh, like anything in life you're probably going to get a better result and the fact is we do we do have to act we're acting things are happening i think that's another thing there's a lots of there's lots of negative news but there's also lots of positive news we have to remember that even though humans um we've we've done bad things to this planet um <laughs> that's putting it lightly but we've also we've also done incredible things Indeed. and i think people forget that and so the fact is we're things are happening um you know, there are lots of people out there that that, that say not enough is being done. I, I agree. I think stuff is being done, just not quickly enough. I think that the speed is, is the main thing. Um, but the fact is we're doing it. It has to be done. And, you know, however long Trump stays in power, whatever, when he goes, um, then we can really get, get working. <clears throat> um, but it has to be approached in some mindset. Yes, and it should be optimism mm. because there's no, there's, I don't think there's any other option. And it is just the best way to be anyway. It is the best way to be anyway.
0: It's the most fun. As, as simple as that. Be,
1: <laughs> as simple as that.
0: <laughs> With just a bit of outrage.
1: Yeah, just way. a little bit of outrage. Yeah, yeah. Just, just to keep it gritty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> keep our feet to the fire here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> There's something you said a while ago, which we really liked, which was that songs are condensed stories. Hmm. You said that they're parcels of intense experience and that a great song will create a feeling that can't be shaken, like an encounter with natural systems on the brink of climate change. And How's that for a cool quote? <laughs> yeah, yeah it's, it's, Do it's you yours. know anybody yeah, yeah, who yeah, said yeah, yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> so what we're interested in, you know, how do we help climate change? And this has really been the theme of what we talked about here, become a feeling rather than a thought. Mm. it's kind of intellectual for people they know something's right. happening they don't feel it i mean like much your songs right. are about deep mm. feelings, feelings. That feelings. Yeah, you know, I, yeah my
2: intention is yeah. for people to live what i i mean i don't know if my intention but it certainly has happened where people have said that they really felt that and really you know i, re- I released this song recently called flux that was about um you know uh, what if i'd ended up with this person and uh and I've never, I've had an overwhelming response to that song of people saying, "Oh my gosh, you know, I'm happily married, I've got kids, but I still think about this other person for some unknown reason." Um, and how do I relate to climate change? Well, I think again going back to people being immersed in nature, I think um, really, really feeling it means uh, wanting to save what you love, uh, and so that connection with nature is so important. Um, I think seeing the world is so important because I think it enables you to have compassion and put yourself in other people's shoes, which is so important. I do a lot of work for the homeless as well, and I, I like again when I was young, I, I would see homeless people, and it would affect me so much. It would mm. stay with me, and it has stayed with me forever. So I do a lot for homeless in, in London. but that's a whole other thing. But um, I think compassion is is such an important thing um, for for feeling. Uh, you know, feel, trying to feel what other people feel, or trying to understand other people's lives, other people's cultures, uh, because this this whole mindset of of you know only thinking that your truth is the truth, I think is is a barrier for tackling mm-hmm. things like climate change. Um, working together, coming together, um, talking, sharing experiences, sharing stories. Um, you know, getting a grip on exactly what's happening around you. Um, you know how climate change might be affecting your town, your city, your country. Um, I think that's how it becomes. You know, more part of you. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and you know, even like, but even like becoming vegetarian, it felt like a, it felt like a way of life because suddenly I just you know, I, I'm surrounded by vegetarians and people who think the same and it's sort of, become you just sort of, it goes without saying and it just becomes part of you. Um, so I, th- but I think, I think these kids being out protesting is a sign that it's become, you know, it's become part of them. And I don't think, yeah. I don't think it's a fleeting thing. I don't no. think it's a phase. I think it's a really positive thing, uh, that, uh, This is something that's gonna. It's just the norm now. I hope it is. I hope hope it's just the The blessed um, outrage. Let's yeah, yeah, the blessed outrage. outrage. The
1: blessed outrage.
0: Yes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But what's nice about what you're saying because we we talked to Greta and she said, um, "I want everyone to feel the fear I fear every day." Yeah, and seeing that in her, it's very—it's it's tremendously motivating. And actually, I found it quite alarming to see just what that looks like embodied in someone. And what I like about what you just said it's like if you have this one thing that you take care of, it's like you find the macro in the micro, right. and then that thing engenders meaning on a wider on a yeah. wider scale, which I think is is beautiful. Yeah. I,
2: I totally get what she what she means. She, I, I imagine I feel fear a bit like hers day to day, but um, f- fear does not i don't think fear induces action as much as uh hope does yeah
1: fear fear can definitely be a stop on the way it cannot be the ultimate destination exactly because then we paralyze you've got to
2: have it initially and then then say right what are we doing what are we doing exactly yeah it's it's definitely has to be there in some respect you know we you know it's, it's it's what when we care about something when we care about a cause it's because we initially were outraged by yes, it outraged yes. by seeing people on the streets exactly you know outraged by knowing that that there's you know women are paid less than men it's it's it all begins with an outrage but mm. you can't you it can't necessarily be the um only feeling it mm. has to like you said it is a prerequisite for for action but not the actual
1: um the, yeah the final purpose exactly yeah yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, difficult to move through it, but absolutely indispensable, right? Absolutely indispensable. And how do you hold both of those things in equal standing in our mm-hmm. lives? Because uh, we we f- we feel the fear today, but we're going to feel it again tomorrow. And the day after tomorrow, we're going to again be outraged. Yeah. And we can't allow that to paralyze us and move, yeah. move us forward. So that... You know, someone um, a while ago told me that her favorite definition of intelligence was to hold two seemingly disparate and mutually uh, canceling realities in equal standing. And to be able to do that and hold outrage and optimism in equal standing, and be able to move through that into action um, is—I think it's it's a new phenomenon. It's 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 a new thing. Yeah,
2: Yeah. it's—it's you know with these times that that we've never had before as humans, uh, it it means embracing an entirely new mentality. Yeah, perhaps outrage and optimism have not necessarily been. Combined in such a way before, but you know, with with unprecedented times, you need uh, you know a, 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 a mindset that perhaps hasn't been accessed before. Exactly. But now's the exactly. time to explore how now we can use our mind to to uh, to
1: for action. Exactly, yeah. our minds and our hearts, and Let's our hearts. not forget the hearts, <laughs> the feeling <laughs> Ellie, thank you so much. It's been truly a delight. Thank yeah. you very, very much. Yeah. Thank you for sharing so much.
0: And we love your new song. <laughs> yes, we do. Totally
1: love it. I get all teared up.
0: <laughs> so, we had that conversation a few days ago, and to me, it was remarkable in several respects. First, I was just so struck by Ellie's sense of responsibility towards her impact on the world. She had this really, really highly considered Uh, sense of what outcomes she was trying to achieve and this sense of real suffering that when she doesn't achieve that, then she has a responsibility that she wants to find a way to deliver. I have to say, I was left with a sense that if more people in public life had that feeling of responsibility and delivery for public goods and positive outcomes, we would be in a much better place collectively. Um, Second, I thought it was very insightful of her that the kind of age-old theme of loss and unrequited love contains so much that resonates with a sense of loss around what we could be losing with the loss of the natural world. And that she could take that principle and apply it in this way was really interesting and I think has created a really very impactful song. And finally, um, she was pretty clear that for her and others, mental health is really a very serious issue as we face the reality of this moment. And for her, lots of physical exercise was one way of dealing with that and also limiting social media and being careful of what you expose yourself to. One of the reasons that we're making this podcast is to help people understand this moment and understand how they can balance the outrage and that optimism to meet the moment we're in. And there are so many people struggling with the psychological impacts of where we are right now, particularly young people. And given this reality, all of this seems like interesting advice to me from Ellie. <laughs> So this has been the second episode of Outrage and Optimism. Whether you joined us last week or whether you're new today, thanks for listening. And we really hope you'll subscribe and leave us a review, which really does make a huge difference. Also, do check out Ellie's song, In This Together. And if you enjoyed the conversation and haven't listened to episode one, please do go back and listen to our first episode with David Attenborough. Ellie and David work together on the Our Planet series for Netflix. And in that episode, we talk with David about how the outrage of young people is reshaping the global conversation on climate change and taking us to new places. So it just remains for me to say that Outrage and Optimism is a production of Global Optimism. The co-hosts are Christiana Figueres, Paul Dickinson, and me, Tom Rivett-Karnak. I'd like to thank everyone who made this happen. Pete Clutton-Brock, Clay Carnill, Chloe Revel, Natasha Rivet karnak Alexandra Vargas-Morera, Sarah Thomas, Marina Mancilla, Callum Grieve, and Zoe cholak I'd also like to thank Michael Northrup from Rockefeller Brothers Fund and Nigel Topping from We Mean Business. You can connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and be sure to hit the subscribe button and please do tell your friends. Join us next week, same time, same place, for another conversation about reshaping the world. We'll see you then.